0: another edition of the kaiju transmissions podcast my name is kyle bird um and i know that you know that i have a co-host that does this show with me i Um,
1: think our intros get progressively worse i am mad i don't i don't know why
0: we let bird do this i you know you know the one time you did it i had to like force you to do it You're well, too, you're too, you're too shy. You, you don't, you, you seem to think that you're gonna fall apart if, if you do the intro. That
1: is. Anyway, we have someone uh, very special, a special guest, has joined us today.
0: I'm and, special. Uh,
1: that would be Jelly, aka Tom.
2: What's really so- good in the hood? I'm excited to be on this episode I feel like the last few times I've come on here Although maybe not because I was on for Halloween And I am usually pretty positive on those episodes But anyways I feel like I tend to come on Kaiju transmissions when there's like something new To like poop on
1: <laughs> That's that's a fair assessment I think you're probably like 66% taking a dump On what we're talking about And then like a third of the time you're, Because you enjoy the movie You're, you're positive which is fine
2: it's not fair. Maybe Toho needs to stop screwing up.
1: Yeah, I don't have high hopes for the second one, but we'll second anime no. Godzilla. That'll, be, that'll be, fun. be fun. So we're here to talk about Pacific Rim. Uh, I think.
2: You, know, oh, you didn't want to talk people. about people you didn't want to talk about how people don't know what test screenings are?
1: <laughs> what, what was that guy's name? I forget. I can't even remember the guy's name. But he
2: like... He it was, it's it's like jordan crenshaw or something like that like, it's like some guy on twitter was like hey i heard there was a test screening and then later it was like hey i don't know anyone at the test screening and then like two hours later after that was like hey i heard from someone who was at the test screening that it was awesome and it's like well
0: what you said you didn't know anyone who was there a test screening isn't the movie you're not watching the movie. <laughs> that's what I, I wish people would realize. You're and you're right.
2: also not being shown 20 minutes of the movie. That's, what pe- that's another thing that people are like, oh, they showed us the first 20 minutes of the movie. No, no that is not a test screening. That's not how that works.
0: Oh, speaking that's like of, a sneak preview. Speaking of Pacific Rim, you know what other social media thing happened with kaiju fans that was dumb? When John Boyega was asked very casually in an interview <laughs> <laughs> if he'd ever been a Godzilla fan growing up. And he was like, you know, as a kid, I was into a lot of stuff. I was into Power Rangers. Uh, I liked King Kong, but, you know, I never got into Godzilla. You know, he he just seemed like too slow, like a a big mountain. yeah, like, eh, You know, I, I never got into it. And then, like, people <laughs> comment sections were like, well, this fuck fucking bullshit. I wasn't going to go see the stupid movie anyway. The last Star Wars movie was a piece of shit. Fuck this piece of shit guy.
1: Those, those are actually comments, though. I saw those, too. I'm surprised. Like, Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> and if you watch the clip, like he was, he was like he was normal about. It. He wasn't like yeah, stupid, cheesy rubber suit <laughs> move. He didn't say any of that. He was just like, you know, he, didn't
1: you know what he has not experienced the wrath of Godzilla fans? I'm sure there'll be a change in <laughs> a boycott of his upcoming Pacific Rim movie because of this. <laughs>
2: oh, why why doesn't someone go ask
0: Idris Elba
2: what he thinks of Godzilla? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh I, I don't know man. I really wish uh, like we could be around in like the heyday of even like the 90s with oh, some of the stuff I, that
2: was. Would... I told you guys offline. Wouldn't you love to have been around like when someone asked um uh, Shizuke Kaneko about uh about Gamora and have him say, "Well, I never really liked Gamera, I always wanted to do Godzilla more, but" this was available, so I, I guess I'm just doing it to, like, audition for Godzilla. And then people be like, could you imagine the reaction to that?
1: Only, only fans can make movies, guys. Did you know that? That's a thing. Except, like, half the people that directed Godzilla films didn't even like doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think most of them only did it because it was work, really. I have a job to do, and I will do my job. Yeah. Uh, and
2: the guy who directed the the definitive Kaiju trilogy did not like the character.
1: <laughs> that's why I mean, I mean <laughs> you, you who could like won't even talk about his Godzilla films when you ask him. He's like just just I don't want to talk about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he thinks that like Godzilla versus the sea monster is like one of the worst movies of all time.
0: <laughs> the the monsters are attacking Tokyo book which I think was shortly before Fukuda died, I might, I might be mistaken, but they say in the book that the only reason he even agreed to be interviewed was because they wrote him a really nice letter asking him if he would do an interview. And then if you actually look at some interviews, like when they're like, okay, what about this project? He literally will say like, uh, we, we don't need to talk about that. Exactly.
1: It's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to dodge the question because I don't, I don't like that movie. <laughs> it, it was a dark time.
0: Well, we have a Pacific Rim sequel on the way. Yay, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I'm with yeah. Let's save our thoughts on that. Yeah, that will so. be an
1: end thing into the podcast mini discussion.
0: Well, of course, with a Pacific Rim sequel on the way, we uh, we're probably overdue to talk about the first one. Right? Yeah, man. Yay. Yay. That was 2013. It's already—it's already five years ago
2: now. Are we—are we, we going to start drifting? Are we going to our thundercloud formation?
0: Yeah, we're like the the Chinese uh, guys because there's three of us. Yeah. Why are there three of them?
2: Because they have three arms and they need to do the thundercloud formation.
0: Because it's cool.
2: <laughs> yes, that's the answer.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, this is a movie. Directed by a Mexican director named Guillermo del Toro. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, But uh, shout out to our boy for winning Best Director and Best Picture for Shape of Water. which uh, Which is a movie I found highly enjoyable. It was in my top 15 for the year.
1: I dug it. My wife loved it.
0: Um... And I don't know. I mean, I've been a fan of his for a very long time, long before Pacific Rim. Um,
1: best Gear Motor Tour movie and go. What's your favorite? Maybe. Uh. Best
0: or favorite? Well, favorite or best? I mean, those are two very different. Yeah, I I give two different
2: answers for those. Favorite, might I think be... is. I think his best is either Pan's Labyrinth or Devil Devil's Backbone.
0: Those are yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, but best my favorite. Is... I think best is Pan's Labyrinth. I'm I'm
1: firmly in the uh, Devil's Backbone camp, but I do like P- Pan's Labyrinth a lot.
2: But my favorite is like either this or Blade Two. Oh, Blade
0: Two, sweet. Um, yeah, this is. A, I, I was a fan of his long before Pacific Rim, and I always thought, oh, this guy's not only makes good movies, but he likes a lot of the same stuff I do, like. Harryhausen and Universal Horror, and, you know, every every now and then, I'd hear him do an interview where he'd talk about Godzilla, or mention Godzilla. I think um, Hellboy 2, when that came out, he was talking about the giant plant creature, and, like, how it left all that crap all over the city, and he said that was inspired by, like, when he would think, like, where does Godzilla poop, and, like, what does it look like? <laughs> and I was like, oh,
1: so you- he... So what you what you spend your time thinking about is where does Godzilla shit? That's what I just learned. I don't. Guillermo del <laughs> you said Toro he does. Like the same stuff that he. You said you both liked the same stuff, and then he proceeded to tell that story. That's the logical conclusion, I think.
0: Anyway, it's completely continue. completely different, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, that's cool. He mentioned Godzilla, and then he signed on to Pacific Rim, and then like I find out he's like a huge, huge kaiju and tokusatsu fan and probably knows more than all three of us and i remember when
2: uh do you remember when pacific rim was rumored to be godzilla
0: yeah this was around the like legendary denounced pacific rim around the same time that they bought godzilla and then um this is before they had a director for it too and and yeah people were kind of like hmm the timing on this seems strange but no it just so happened that the it was something completely different, but yeah, I re- and I remember like when this treatment was kind of being batted around, and I remember when Del Toro signed on to produce it, because um, he was working on some other stuff, which I guess um, we can get into. But but no, um, I Del Toro, honestly, some of his movies are better than others, but I I've honestly liked every movie he's done, even uh, even Mimic, which is the one that. You know, had a lot of interference from the Weinsteins. <laughs> um, Ugh, I feel dirty just <laughs> <laughs> hearing that name. I mean, Del Toro himself more or
2: less washes his hands of that movie. I mean, I know he did his director's cut, but I think that was more just to be like, well, this is what I was going for. Yeah. Um, well, I I have
0: not. yeah, I have that Blu-ray and he said like this is the closest that you'll get, but it's still very far from how it was written on the page. Um and he he said, you know, he he the reason he went back to it and did a new cut was he said, you know, at least this version, if you don't like, you can hold me responsible for. Uh, you know, he said it's 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 the version that I can call my own, but it's still not, you know. The movie i would have made if i had every if it was as planned yeah but i still like that movie too um
2: yeah it's a fun i mean it's a fun movie
0: yeah but i mean his experience on there was so bad that that's when he went back to mexico and did the devil's backbone and he wasn't planning on coming back to hollywood and then uh you know he'd wanted to do a hellboy movie for a really long time and was you know struggling and then he got a call from david goyer to do blade 2 and he was like if you want to get your foot in the door for a hellboy blade 2 might not be the worst idea and then from there you know you have pan's labyrinth hellboy 2 pacific rim and then you know crimson peak shape of water but they've all been like they've all been really good i think he's probably one of my favorite directors at least um active and living directors
2: yeah he's up there for me and especially just when you just consider like his films and his output you know he he can be a, for me um i know other people personally like him more he could just be a frustrating figure for me because and I, and you know i wonder how I, I don't know how much of it might even just be like the a simple bit of like cultural slash language barrier type of stuff, because he's obviously not a native English speaker, um, although he's he's quite fluent. But still, he's he's so quick to and it, it, the other part of it, it might just be that he's he's like us, you know, he's like he's like a fan. He's 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 uh and and he's not a typical director he doesn't really like to play the politics and play the game so he could be a little too quick to be like oh i'm working on this and oh i'm working on that and, oh i have this idea and you know he even tried to do that thing that i don't necessarily think was malicious or anything but when he went to go talk to mike mcnola about possibly doing hellboy three and he like posted it on twitter so that like everyone knew and like you know, like tried to kind of create pressure on Magnolia that way to like get him to do Hellboy three and stuff. It's, it, he can be a bit of a frustrating person for me from that perspective. But when you just talk about just his movies, I mean, they're all mm-hmm. good and they, and then yeah. several of them are amazing. And so it's like, well, you know, if you're a frustrating person, whatever, but as long as your output keeps, keeps being that good, like you, you got to leg up on everyone.
0: And um another thing that it, like the reason I think so many of those projects fall through is he's very it's not a bad thing um but he he is one of those directors where he's like if I'm going to do this movie we're going to do it my way and if you have a problem with anything that I'm doing I'm going to I you know I'll walk you know I mean his movies are his movies part of that might be because of how mimic was taken away from him he just wants to make sure he doesn't have an experience like that again But yeah, everything after Mimic, he's just been, if I'm going to do this, it's my way or the highway, and he leaves very little room to compromise, so I think sometimes, you know, studios and executives and producers get a little uncomfortable with that, and yeah, I mean, it's like... Edgar Wright's like that, too. Yeah, a lot of people are like that, and then, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just... They want to make them their movies the way they want to make them, and I mean, I think he's earned his dues, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes after Shape of Water. I, I think a lot of the uh, uppity kind of, like, Oscars crowd feel like he's going to be, you know, making more artsy stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if he used that clout to make some, like, dumb action monster movie (laughs) thing. (laughs) Because that's the other thing, is he always says, you know, whatever movie he's doing, it's the one that he wants to do the most. You know, he he says, go for what uh, excites you the most. So, um... But yeah, I I am a big fan. Me too.
2: Um, Matt is not, apparently.
0: Nah, I I like him.
1: I was on mute. (laughs) Clearly, I... Love all the movies that I've seen of his I've thoroughly enjoyed. And uh maybe the mountains of madness thing will, will eventually happen.
0: Who knows? That would be great. Uh, Alright, Bird, uh,
1: do your thing, man.
0: Okay. So uh Pacific Rim was created by a fellow known as Travis Beecham. Um who is a screenwriter, uh, and he thought he had, the initial idea for Pacific Rim came to to him when he um, he had moved to California and he sold a screenplay called A Killing at Carnival Row, which was bought by New Line, and he was developing that into um, something with Guillermo del Toro as producer, and um, <clears throat> that's actually I, I think there were some starts and stops with that, but that actually just got uh, picked up by. Maybe HBO, but it's going to be a series, and I think Del Toro is doing the pilot. It's supposed to come out this year, I think. Anyway, Beachum was walking along the beach and saw uh, Santa Monica Pier, and um, as someone who had grown up watching a lot of kaiju and giant robots and um, uh, anime and stuff like that, he just the image popped in his head of uh, <laughs> a monster and a robot fighting along the pier, Um And that's when he kind of realized, like, hey, maybe that's the kind of thing I might want to do. And then a few years later, he had gotten an in with Legendary. Uh, He had written a draft of the Clash of the Titans remake. And um, uh, at that point, he was talking to his agent and told him him about uh, maybe wanting to do a movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters. And then he wrote an 18-page illustrated treatment uh, that he took to Legendary, and they bought it right there on the spot. Um, now, while all this was going on, Guillermo del Toro was in a little bit of a uh, career slump. Uh, after after Hellboy 2, um, he'd signed on to do the Hobbit movies, uh, which at this point, there were only going to be two of them, uh, which probably would have been a better choice. Maybe even one, God forbid. Um, but he'd spent well over a year, a couple years, developing The Hobbit with Peter Jackson, um, who was on board producing. And uh, Del Toro even had moved his family to New Zealand to work on the movies with Weta. Um, and then MGM got in all that that financial uh, uh, mess. Um, and The Hobbit just stalled indefinitely at that point. Um, and from there, he, uh, he kind of came to a deal with Universal to finally start pre-production... Um, on uh, his long, long, uh, long-awaited passion project, his dream movie, which was an adaptation of uh, H.P. Lovecraft's at the Mountains of Madness for Universal. And it was going well. Um, Scripts were being uh, written. Concept art was being done. James Cameron was signed on to produce the movie. Tom Cruise was going to star in it. Um, And... That fell through. Uh, It was really super close to being greenlit. And Universal, who, like, it was going to be a big budget horror movie. And Universal said, if we're going to greenlight this with this budget, it's got to be PG-13. And Del Toro said, you know, maybe it could work as PG-13, but I don't want to make any compromises if, I do a cut of it and it has to be R, it's going to be R. And they just couldn't agree on that. And um, he described it as a very hard decision, but he walked away from it. Um, And he's since gone on to regret that a little bit and say, you know, I should have just worked with them on the PG-13, done a director's cut. I remember when this happened, we were all like, why doesn't he just do that? But... (laughs) (laughs) But this is what I mean about, you know, he's going to make a movie. He's going to want to do it his way. Um, but uh while he was doing pre-production on Mountains, um he got a call from Legendary who'd wanted to work with them anyway. Uh, and immediately when they heard he was exiting The Hobbit, they sent him the Pacific Rim uh, treatment and he liked it. But because of Mountains, you know, he couldn't direct it. So he signed on as a producer and he was overseeing um, concept art, pre-production art, um, the development of the script, which Beecham had started working on. Um, So then uh, when Mountains fell through, he signed on to direct Pacific Rim and do a page one rewrite um, of the script And him and Travis Beecham uh, would write drafts together. I think they went through about 18 to get to the final uh, version, but a lot of uh, Del Toro's ideas um, wound up in the movie, like uh, the drifting with the two pilots was his, Um, the baby kaiju stuff was his. There was a lot of stuff in the mythology of Pacific Rim that came from uh, Del Toro. Um, And part of the reason he was so excited about this was... uh, Growing up in Mexico, he was obsessed with giant monsters, kaiju movies, um, robots, uh, giant robot anime. So, stuff like in Mexico on TV as a kid, uh, he'd watch, you know, Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Space Giants, Johnny Sacco, Gigantor, Messenger Z, Frankenstein Conquers the World, War of the Gargantuas, uh, Ray Harryhausen movies. Uh, you know, he was obsessed. And, um, he was really excited about this because he was able to make what he called, a, a he said the kaiju genre appeals to the most pure part of the inner child, and making this movie was especially therapeutic because it was just, after all the stuff he'd gone through with those, you know, projects falling through, I mean, he's one of those guys that, I think that's part of the reason why his movies are so good, is he pours, like, every ounce of himself into a project, so... Um, this was something that really allowed him to kind of go back to the things that he loved as a child. And, um, you know, they wanted to deliver a very pacifist movie with all the countries of the world working together. Um, Instead of having one country saving the world, it was the world saving the world. He called uh, Pacific Rim a a humanist hymn. So in the spirit of, you know, the uh, Showa uh, movies, um especially the Shiro Honda ones, where you have nations of the world all doing their part <clears throat> um, but yeah he he later described Pacific Rim as the movie that saved his life essentially, rejuvenated his career um and that's actually why uh the main character Raleigh, after he's um quit being a pilot, uh he's in exile for exactly five years and four months, which is the exact time period from when Hellboy 2 was released to when Pacific Rim production had started. Um, during the entire production, this is something that maybe a lesser director wouldn't have done, but he he made a point not to watch any kaiju movies or shows. He told his crew to do the same thing, and he he didn't want it to be a movie full of specific references or homages or dialogue from other movies. Um you know, he wanted it to be as fresh as it could and still kinda honor the genre. Without being postmodern in the way that, you know, a Robert Rodriguez movie might, where you'll have a character say like, Oh, that's from that movie or this this fight scene is just like this fight scene. He he didn't want to do anything like that. Um so instead he looked at other sources of inspiration for for coming up with the the story and everything um one thing that he did was he watched a lot of sports movies which would kind of echo raleigh's arc of being like the hot ro- young rookie who um messes up and comes out to do an you know uh one one last game uh or um paintings like um two that he mentioned a lot were uh Goya's the Colossus which is like a giant wandering along the ocean side um Hakusai's great wave of Kanagawa, which uh is probably the, one of the most famous pieces of japanese art um but yeah he he really didn't want to you know study all these other movies he wanted it to be you know its own thing so um well uh let's talk about what the movie's actually about, and we'll say how well uh del toro did um so Tom, why don't you? Hit us with a plot synopsis for Pacific Rim. All right.
2: So Pacific Rim uh, begins in the year, like, it's like 2012 or 2013 or whatever year, you know, that the movie was basically made. It's like right around that time. Um, And, you know, humanity always, it actually starts with with a really cool shot of uh, we always thought, you know, alien life would come from the stars, and you see it looks like um, a star field. And it's, as it kind of comes into focus more, you realize that you're under the water. It's a really cool uh, opening shot of the movie. It, um, but uh, so, yeah, the aliens come, and they come from the ocean. And uh, they're not just aliens. They are giant monster aliens. They're Kaiju. Um, so the first one that comes is a uh, trespasser and he wreaks havoc on like the San Francisco Bay area. Um, and it's like four days later, they're finally able to take him down after like luring him out to sea. And, um, you know, everyone grieves and, and, uh, moves on with their lives. And then shortly after that, another one comes and then another one and then another one. And all of a sudden we realize, you know, Oh, we have to, we have to do something about this. You know, this isn't, uh, this isn't just going to stop. This wasn't just a one-off thing. So, um, I, it's, I don't know if they ever get into, uh, how it's, how they decide to go with giant robots to fight everything in the movie. I do remember reading the book, uh not the book, but the uh, the the tie in comic, like the year one thing. And it actually is. Some dude is, is sitting and his kid starts like playing with toys and he's like, Oh, the only thing to fight uh something that big would be something that big. So they get the idea to create uh Jaegers, which is uh a giant it's it's German for Hunter. Um German or Russian? German. 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 Um, and it's uh, it's yeah, it's German for hunter. And the Jaeger is a, it's a monster hunter. It's a giant robot meant to fight monsters. Um, they don't discuss it too, too much. They get into it a little bit in the movie. Um, enough, enough that it's there as part of the world building. But it requires two pilots, um, being synced up, working in harmony to make it move. And the reason it does is because of the neural load on uh on a, a single pilot trying to operate one. So if you try to operate one on your own, it'll fry your brain and and kill you. But um uh, but you know if if you got your partner working with you to handle one hemisphere and you handle the other hemisphere, uh you're good to go. So we jump you know a few years into the future and the Jaeger program is in full swing and the early pilots um from the first, you know, few Jaegers are uh, retired, um, or have, like moved on to be like generals and stuff. And there's a new batch of Jaeger pilots and, um, Raleigh and his brother, uh, Yancey are two of them. They get woken up in the middle of the night and there's a, there's a new Kaiju. It's the biggest Kaiju ever. It's a category three, which the categories are graded like hurricanes. Uh, the first one trespasser was a category one there, but since been category twos and now they're up to category three. um, Knifehead is is a is a kaiju who comes and he's uh off the coast of alaska and raleigh and yancy's mission is uh to stay put where they are and keep him from entering the mainland um as they're staying put they see that a boat is being like thrown around in the waves created by knife head and they're like well we got to save those guys because you know it's the right thing to do and you know they're uh their superiors are like, well, don't worry about the four guys on a boat. Worry about the city of however many, you know, millions of people. And they're, they're a little arrogant. So they're like, ah, we could take it out. No problem. And they fight it. And they do think they kill it. And knife kills them. And, uh, well, doesn't kill them. He kills Yancey though. And Raleigh is able to get back to Alaska where he collapses. And, uh, you know, they've suffered. The Jaeger program has suffered its first defeat. Uh, now the Jaeger program continues to suffer defeats as the kaiju get bigger and stronger because that's, what's been happening every time a new one appears as they get bigger and stronger. Um, so now we jump forward in time again, um, five years later, uh, and Raleigh is no longer a Jaeger pilot having his brother, uh, killed while they were connected by a, the, the drift as it's called. Um, it has, you know, kind of, it, it's kind of taken a toll on him. He doesn't want to be in the Jaeger ever again. Um, he's instead working in construction. He's helping to build what they call, what do they call it? The coastal wall. Yeah. Um, the wall of life, they call it too. Yeah. Which is just, it's just a giant wall built around they're they're planning on building it like around the entire coast of the earth i guess um all coastlines and it's just meant to like slow down kaiju and them from coming in while they can you know maybe i don't know fight it with tanks and missiles or something um but but that's that's sort of the plan and that's all he's doing uh he gets approached by his old mentor slash boss, uh, general stacker Pentecost,
0: which is an awesome uh, name, by the way, <laughs> there's a lot of awesome names, <laughs> uh,
2: stacker Pentecost, um, comes and says, Hey, we, we have one, one last plan. We have one, one last chance. I got my, uh, my two scientist guys on it. Uh, Dr. Gottlieb and Newton, their plan is to attack the breach. Um, They're going to strap a nuclear warhead to one of the one of them. And uh, as a kaiju tries to come through, they're going to try and go through the other way. Um, They've uh, tried to bomb the breach, which is where all the kaiju come from um, in the past. And it hasn't worked stuff just like just explodes around it. And so they have discovered that the breach is like a portal between the two worlds And their plan is once it opens to try and let a kaiju in, they're going to drop the bomb in and, and blow it up and try and close the breach. Um, that's really like the thrust of the whole movie is trying to ready for this one final mission. In the meantime, they got to find, uh, Raleigh, a co-pilot. Um, it ends up being, uh, Mako More, who, um, she's a, uh, a Japanese who has, uh, Suffered some losses at the hands of the kaiju um she, so she's got her own stuff going on. her parents have been killed by by Kaiju and she was taken in by Stacker Pentecost, who saved her life um when he was when she was a kid, so she's always kind of looked up to him. he's been like a father figure to her she is what is she like before the movie starts? She's just like a pilot in training, right, but she's also kind of like his stackers like
0: assistant yeah that's how i would describe her pretty much yeah
2: um so she's she's got a bit of a leg up in terms of being a pilot in that she she has like a little bit more inside information than a typical pilot does you know the pilots are a little bit more soldiers she kind of has a little bit more of that strategy stuff uh just in her brain um but uh, she wants to be a pilot really bad, but but Stacker's like, oh, yeah, you're not ready yet, and it's it's this it's this relationship that they have where he's a little bit nervous, whatever. Um, but anyway, so that's that's really the thrust of the movie is trying to figure out how to get into this breach, and and it goes through a lot of permutations and iterations, and everyone sort of has different roles. Just to go back to like slightly go back to before the movie was released, I got to go to. Um, Alamo Drafthouse did this thing and it was a day long film festival um, they showed the original King Kong to kick it off uh, then they showed uh, Inframan, and then they showed Pulgasari and then they finished it off with the original Godzilla uh, it was a four film marathon and in the middle of it they uh, had Travis Beecham do a live Q&A and so we got to talk to him about the movie. It was a really, really cool like way to get hyped for the movie. Something a little bit different, um, you know. It wasn't just like an early screening of the movie or anything like that. It was it was pretty fun. Um, and I remember being very excited for this movie. And in some ways, for some of the wrong reasons. Like I remember I don't know if you guys remember. I definitely do. Uh, when they put out like all those like trading cards for like the kaiju mm-hmm. and the and the jaegers and like you know each jaeger was great like had like um like stats like almost like in mario kart whereas like speed was like two out of ten and yeah yeah uh, yeah that kind of stuff and i remember being like oh that's really cool like that's really different i wonder if that's gonna and like i kind of asked i asked beach i was like oh is that gonna play in and he's like yes and no he's like you know yes and that like those stats are based off of something like if a if a if a Jaeger's rated like a 2 out of 10 for speed, you're going to see it be like a more bulky, hulky kind of thing. But, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, it's it's a 2 on the whatever scale, <laughs> you know, like. Um, but he's like, but yeah, if you see one that's rated like a, a 10 out of 10, then yeah, it's going to be a little bit faster, move around a little more agile. So, um so that it was a cool Q and A, and he answered some other questions too. You know, what are your favorite movies and stuff like that, and um, you know, tell us about your. I asked him like just what his experience was and how he got into writing and things. He talked a little bit about uh, Clash of the Titans, and boy, that's a being a screenwriter in Hollywood's got
0: to be a tough job. Yeah, um, well, I, I, from what I understand, he's pretty much disowned Clash of the Titans. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not what the movie is not what he wrote, even though it says written by <laughs> Travis Beecham. Yeah,
2: and that that's being a screenwriter in Hollywood, yeah, right? Is sure. like is is you might write something and and hell, you could have something that looks good on on the page and then it gets translated close to what you wrote and and it just doesn't translate well on screen, you know? So um a lot of times right because a lot of people are not like thrilled with Travis Beacham as a writer. I think he's I think he's good enough, you know, like I think this movie kind of shows it in the right hands, like with a del Toro or, uh, you know, I mean, if he works with someone else, like maybe a Goyer, like his ideas could translate. Well, it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, his ideas, you know, in the hands of whatever hack directed clash of the Titans, uh, maybe don't translate that well, but, um, yeah, I, I then ended up
0: seeing this movie. I think we all probably
2: did on opening day. Yes, I did. And
0: I loved it. (laughs) So did I No, I was, uh, thrilled with it um and i mean there's so much that i like about it that it's this is one of those movies where it's hard to really start for me i mean first of all i mean just seeing a, a kaiju movie like this um you know we've had we had a few other things here and there you know godzilla had been gone for a long time at this point um And, you know, nothing was really going on. We had Gamera the Brave, and then we had Cloverfield, and it's like, okay, those are cool. But, you know, as far as, like, really monster on monsters, robots, and just a ton of destruction and stuff, this is the first time we saw that really, really, honestly, truly in effect on a Hollywood budget. Um, And now we've had, you know, Godzilla 14 and Skull Island and 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 things like that um but this was on a scale that even you know the 1998 Godzilla didn't do you know this was full blown you know kaiju this movie
2: was it had a huge budget oh yeah like like even now 6 years later like they don't the the monsterverse movies are not getting budgets this big
0: yeah and um <laughs> And yeah, so on that level I was I was very happy with it. And then, you know, just seeing the way that it was so unapologetic about what it was. You know, it wasn't we got to ground this, uh, you know, it, it's full-blown, you know, you're a 8-year-old kid Saturday morning and they're showing a block of Godzilla and Harryhausen and and giant robot anime. Like that's what this is. And um and and so that that was uh refreshing to me and I, I was really impressed by just how like I said, the confidence level in this universe is not something you see often. You know, you see it in movies like Star Wars, um, you see it in stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're just like they're so confident in just saying like, Okay, here this is the universe this is in. It's pretty wild, and you're along for the ride or you're not. Um, and part of that is the world building in this movie is just done tremendously um, you have that big info dump at the beginning, but it's not only that it's just you know once it flashes forward into the future, everything looks beat up and dirty and rusty and you know the buildings have like kaiju blood stained stains on them. It looks like it's this built in uh, this lived it's in lived in. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember Del Toro saying that um, uh, that was something he admired about Star Wars, the first Star Wars, A New Hope is, you know, Lucas really m- took effort to be like, OK, we're on this planet, it, but it's not this cool sci fi planet that you want to go to. Like it looks shitty. It looks rusty. Everything looks like it's been around for like y- years and years and years. And, I don't know, you don't get that kind of detail in a lot of other movies, and I think a lot of that is del Toro, you know, he's he's a very detail-focused kind of filmmaker. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, the fight scenes blew me away, especially the Battle of Hong Kong. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think Raleigh's the most interesting character, but I love Mako Uh, I love Pentecost, um, and uh, I I walked away really honestly feeling like this is probably the best kaiju movie we've had since the Gamera trilogy. Honestly, I I still feel that way, too. Um, uh, I mean, those those are my initial thoughts. Um, Matt, uh, initial thoughts on Pacific Rim?
1: I had a different experience in the theater because I walked away... I didn't know what to think about it. I did, I had a similar thing with like Godzilla twenty fourteen where I kind of like, I don't know what my expectations were going in, but when do I do you like out,
0: anything the first time you see it? I don't, you did I don't that with know. Skull Island too. You're like, well, I don't know, uh, uh. <laughs> and then like two days later, you're like, yeah, it was good.
1: <laughs> I, I mean it's it's one of those things like sometimes i just need to second the process like with the godzilla 2014 i saw it with my family and like i felt like they were all staring at me trying to see if i like the movie because i'm the godzilla nerd and
0: that's a weird experience
1: I, yeah, i've had it's, that it's, too
0: it's, i've had that happen that's what God, I'm, you so guys like, are so
2: anxious you guys are such anxious people <laughs> I could be sitting in a I could be sitting in a room full of people watching me watch a movie and I wouldn't give a shit.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. You're not wrong, Tom. You're definitely not wrong there. But like now I really do like this movie a lot. And I think that what makes it work is kind of all the stuff that you talked about a second ago, Bird. Like the world building is exquisite and the amount of detail that Del Toro puts into it, um the stuff that he purposely does the colors that he uses, which we'll talk about in a little bit, like he everything with him is very much intentional, and he thinks about a ton of details. I mean, they spent basically a year planning out the stuff that you see in the bay when you first walk in and see the Jaegers, like the ladders and all the you know the the repair stuff going on, and how the computer controls are going to read out, and they try to make sure everything felt like it could exist in the real world, and that's something that I really appreciate. Um, I will agree that. You know, Raleigh's not the most interesting character, but he's he's serviceable, and that's kind of enough for this. Especially when you have Idris Elba just like killing it, and and, and Mako's great as well. So I mean, it has enough characters that stay engaging, and then of course you got giant monsters fighting giant robots. Like I, I don't know, a monster fan that doesn't at least get their interest piqued by that concept alone. Um, well, this
2: is this is something that we talked about offline uh, for a bit, even just today. Um, when when we were discussing the the suspect reports about uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters saying, "Oh, it's like Skull Island where there's no like good characters or whatever." Um, uh, these these kaiju movies, like the, by design, a lot of times I think they almost have to have a fairly boring, straightforward kind of main central character. Um, because you end up populating these movies, the, the the more especially these more like brightly colored, fun ones like Pacific Rim, with biz, like bizarre, wild side characters, right? So you've got yeah, you've got Raleigh and he's straightforward and he does what he does, but then you've got Mako who's like a layered character, and uh, you've got Stacker who's like yeah, Idris Elba is killing it in this movie, and then you've got you know Chuck Hansen, who's the over the top, brash, braggart uh the horrible Australian accent and everything. Um and his dad who's like who's, you know, the the hard line, hard nosed guy. You've his got, name's Hercules uh, Hansen, by the way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's
2: an awesome name. <laughs> uh you've got the two scientists, Gottlieb and Newt, who are, you know, bickering like uh the odd couple like there's so many bizarre goofy uh over the top colorful side characters that you kind of you you almost need that raleigh in the middle to just be like all right well here's the guy who has like a identifiable like normal hero's journey you know um and that's that's in a lot of these movies. I mean, does anyone care about the main character in Godzilla raids again? No, everyone likes Kobayashi, you know, does everyone, <laughs> does anyone care about the main, the main character in King Kong versus Godzilla? No, everyone loves Mr. Taco, you know, like <laughs> uh, bird mentioned it, mentioned it in offline. Does, does anyone give a shit about the police officer in Gidra? No, we like the amnesiac prophetess of doom, you know, like it's these, these side characters are, are, the the more interesting kind of um colorful ones and the and the, the so that's just I'm that's like a trapping controversial of the genre.
0: here actually oh yeah it's, it's a little bit outside of pacific rim but it applies and this character throughout this franchise would get better and a lot more interesting and a lot cooler but i think that's how luke skywalker is in the first star wars movie if you just I mean, look at very... that movie alone, he's just a very plain. My aunt and uncle are dead. I guess I'll follow the, this old guy and join a rebellion. <laughs> like, I mean, that's really all there is to him. But on the, then on the side, you have Han Solo, like the hustler. You have Obi Wan, the wise old sage. You have the two droids. Um, you have Darth Vader. But Luke in that movie is not very interesting. I agree with that yeah i can I can see that he also I mean, he has a yeah yeah at least at like, least I can, his I, uncle yeah <laughs>
2: yeah I can get there so yeah
1: i think what makes this work for me honestly more so than even like and I think your point with raleigh is, is dead on, but i I think you have so many kind of over the top characters, the two scientists, you have Hannibal Chow, who's awesome, um
2: oh I freaking forgot about Ron Perlman. Jesus.
1: Dude, <laughs> Dude he, is, he is great. He's hamming it up. And it's – there's he has so much believability to that kind of character for just whatever reason. Uh, but but Stacker Pentecost, his character is kind of what grounds the film. And, like, he's the only guy that I want to hear give that speech about canceling the apocalypse. Like, that speech is short and to the point, but, like, it really works. And he's the guy that I kind of think this movie leans on, at least for me – to kind of like ground it from being some of the having some of the more campy purposely campy elements that Del Toro throws in there, and then kind of brings it back to like this sense of reality, the sense of purpose and being. And I think that's that's why I love that character so much.
0: I actually think it's him and Mako. Like,
1: yeah, Mako would be another one too. I,
0: I mean, we, you can sit, talk about Raleigh all day, but honest to God, I think Mako's um, story in this in her arc, yes. I think, is excellent.
2: I she's one of my favorite characters in like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's awesome. Um what I love about it, and, you know, is is in terms of just treating her, you know, like uh like a normal character, she gets to have a fight scene against a male character. And and she his she is his equal. Um they have their their do they call it something? I don't know if they call that test anything. Or that that kind of fighting anything. But they fight with these... Like, uh, these bow staffs. And the idea is... You know, you're fighting each other. You don't actually get to hit each other. Um, but when you are... If you would have struck... Like, a, a good striking blow. You get a point. And when you get five points... You win the match. And so you know, this is how you're kind of being tested on your drift compatibility. It's a way to like fight against each other and dance against each other. And I have this feeling of, of your physical kind of compatibility and also your mental a little bit, right? Because you'd be, you know, reading each other's movements, seeing, you know, trying to predict what the other person's doing next, how to combat them and everything. And Raleigh fights like 10 guys and it's five to zero, five to one, five to two. Like he's, he's, he's just beating everyone easily and uh mako goes up against him and it it's like 4 to 4 and and it's never decided who actually wins because stacker calls it uh and that's a great moment uh, that's like one of my favorite moments in the movie and it has nothing to do with kaiju or robots um it's one of the things that that uh i didn't necessarily love the first time because i was like uh oh, when are we gonna get like a cool kaiju battle but that's one of the things that keeps me loving it rewatching it now
0: how do you feel I about
2: I, I could pinpoint the moment when i fell in love with the movie in the first time in theaters though
0: was it when like, the the legendary pictures logo came up and then <laughs> the, an awesome <laughs> montage happened is that,
2: is that pacific rim <laughs> no um the the moment where I went from like oh this is fun and I like it to oh my god this is amazing and I love it is when uh, Leatherback had powers.
0: Mm, yeah, the EMP.
2: Yeah, I was like, holy crap! The Kaiju have powers. This is awesome. Like, it 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 pushed it to that level that Bird said it, of being completely unapologetic about about the genre.
0: You know, like. How do you guys feel about Charlie Hunnam's performance as Raleigh? That's a, a pretty divisive aspect of, of this movie, I think.
1: He's fine. He, he's, he's like, a, he's a, a very, he's an improvement from Aaron Taylor Johnson's performance as Ford in Godzilla 2014. But like, like I said, he's serviceable. He gets the job done. I think part, I mean, part of it's the way he's written. Like one of the things Del Toro talks about in his commentary is the fact that both. Raleigh and Mako have the fewest lines of any characters in the film and that's on purpose Um, and and the reason he does that is because he he brings up the fact that they have trust issues and it's a way to show that but I think part of the the negative side of that might be the fact that like Raleigh is a man of few words and you can either like that or, or not like that but I think it sometimes does him a disservice maybe. But like he's he's fine, he's serviceable. And like I said, I'm I'm here for some of the other characters and I'm here for the monster fight. So like he moves from point A to point B well enough to where I'm not going to complain too much about it.
2: Yeah, I'm with I'm I'm with that. I think he's he's acceptable. Like I I mean there's a couple moments where something he's doing in his performance don't quite ring right with me. Um uh, and i haven't watched the movie recently but it's like um a lot of times it's whenever that whenever chuck is around R- raleigh charlie charlie hunnam specifically doesn't look pissed off enough he looks like he's like it's 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 kind of like like watching wwe right you know like the difference between a really good guy a really good performer in wwe in a, in a one who's not so good um, is the ability to like drown out whatever the crowd is doing and stay in character. Um, Raleigh, Charlie Hunnam looks like he's having too much fun at a moment that he should be really pissed off. Um, And, and so there's like a couple of little moments like that, but um, you know, I think it, while he falters there a little bit, I think he actually does really well when it comes to the more heartfelt moments. Um, and some of his more, um, especially you know, in his interactions with Mako and his more heartfelt moments there, they they ring genuine enough to me, you know. And and their relationship is great. And and who here didn't love that they don't kiss at the end? Like, oh, that was great. I, I damn near like stood up and cheered. They filmed people. a take
0: where they did kiss, and they decided not to use it because they're just. Like awesomely best friends. Um, before we get a uh, move on from characters, um, well, of course, Ron Perlman's amazing is Hannibal Chow. Um, now, the but I think another thing that's a little more divisive and it's like a love it or hate it thing. How do you guys feel about uh, bern Gorman and Charlie Day as the two scientists? Because. There are people that find them so over the top that they're just grating and can't stand them, and then there's people that think they're just a lot of fun.
1: I think two of the things that kind of don't work. It, Newt, Newt does annoy me at times. Um, oh, like, I like some him. of his some of it, well some of his lines like they just like I, I get there needs to be a, an element of humor in this and, and I appreciate that, but like some of them don't land with me. And there's actually a moment um, with Raleigh and Maka where like you know they're gonna turn back and shoot. Leatherback, they're they're checking for a pulse, and that whole joke doesn't really hit well. I think that's one of the things that kind of bugs me about Raleigh is, like, when he goes from trying to be, like, being very serious and stoic to being, like, kind of funny or making a Snyder mark. It what does was the transition.
2: joke? Um, I like that joke a lot. Let's check think, and see um, if he has a pulse. I think and then the they read garbage. They shoot um, him, like, 15 times, and he's like, oh, no pulse. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, that. I don't, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't I don't like it, but I think,
2: right. I think... I laughed when I heard that joke the first time.
1: Uh, Charlie, for me, like, you know, Newt's character. Like, I... I meh. it's a, it's a, Sometimes he bugs me, sometimes I'm fine with it. I understand that they're like two sides to a different coin. Again, you have Stacker Pentecost, you need somebody to, off, to, to offset that, and you have a cast of characters that kind of do that. I mean, that's my take. I think those would be the two things I don't really always like about the film and they do bug me enough to where i'm kind of like almost taken out of it at least this last time and i, I just watched it yesterday again for for this recording and, and it, it it was the same thing that i felt in the theater like the, the issues that i had the first time i watched it are the issues that i have now they haven't really changed
0: for me the two i like those guys uh, yeah i do too but for me the honestly the reason i do like them is that uh, it's not the robots or the monsters, but those two characters are the most anime thing in this movie. Like those two characters nail like those crazy over the top kind of sidekick characters that you see in a lot of these like uh, a lot of the like robot anime that you know uh, inspired the movie. Like uh, I, I and I just I feel like that's like such a big part of this universe as those. Characters like them and Hannibal Chow and like that's in a way that makes the movie have a more anime feel to it which is I think I, the
2: only moment Charlie Hunnam has in the movie that I don't like is when he's barges into Han- Hannibal Chow's office I'm back you one eyed bitch I'm like <laughs> eh, that that part doesn't really work for me right cause Charlie Day can't be badass but like like I love the character in general. I love the parts where um you know like uh where he's like hey this is this is like the biggest coolest kaiju ever or whatever and he's like yeah we took that one out after he killed like a million people. He's like well well yeah cool but not cool. You know like um and then like my favorite part with that character is when he's like well I couldn't tell you even if I want to cuz it's classified, but I might tell you okay i'm gonna tell you um
0: <laughs> i like that part too i also like just... when he's in the the bunker and uh they're all like pushing him in the middle <laughs> they're like the, <laughs> the kaiju wants the little guy
2: yeah uh because that, that part just like like all of that kind of stuff makes him you know like you get a feel actually for who that character is beyond just like him being the comic relief in the film he is you know like like he is, yeah, he's excited about the kaiju and it's, it's interesting to him, but he's, he is trying to do the the right thing all the time. You know, I, I couldn't tell you if I wanted to, but I want to, but I might tell you anyways. Okay. I'm going to tell you, um, because he, he like knows that that's the way to get the job done or whatever, you know, like you, you get that, like, again, it's not like amazing characterization or anything, but it gives you just that little bit. It gives you just enough, you know? Um. So yeah, it's that's like my like I like that character. Um, I like a lot of the characters in this.
1: <laughs> you know, Taurus, um,
2: uh, that
1: that scene where they do the uh, where he drifts the first time, they did like eighteen takes, and apparently he was exhausted by the end of it because like he was demanding so much emotion out of him. I thought that part was he he did. I mean, like he's shaking. He's drinking water. He's got the blood coming out of his like. His nose and stuff. That's a that's a pretty. Awesome look at the
0: scene. dialogue he has to deliver in that scene.
2: <laughs> my biggest negative, and it's a it's a pretty small thing, but my biggest negative on the movie is, and especially the first time I I saw it. You know, they keep talking about how it's the end of the world and it's the apocalypse and stuff like that. I wanted to see more of the world and not just the world of the Jaeger pilots. Um, I wanted to see, you know, looting and riding in the streets and what stuff was like in in the the universe. Um, and I don't get enough of a feeling that it's the apocalypse, you know, like um, that's my biggest complaint. It's a, that's a pretty nitpicky thing, because like Bird said, there actually is quite a bit of world building. And, you know, you get to see like people are so desperate to get work to be able to eat that they're willing to work in these like super unsafe conditions where like bad news. Three people died yesterday. Good news. There's three new job openings, you know, like, um, so it's, you know, it's, I, you just, you don't, I don't know how you, you guys feel about that, but that was certainly coming out of the movie. That was my initial reaction. That was my biggest complaint was, Oh, there's not enough. Like I wanted to see so much more with like the world, you know?
1: I think it could have helped but like I know that del Toro talks about the fact that they you know they include like a contingent of people that are trying to worship the kaiju because they think they're like messengers from heaven or whatever there's there's some news reporting and found footage stuff at the very beginning of the film that you kind of get the sense of like okay these entire cities were laid waste but I do agree with you that there could have been some more of that and I think that would have gone I think that would have been an enhancement but I don't find it to be a drawback really.
0: I can't find an actual story reason to show that. Shut up, I wanted to see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um So uh the Jaegers, we have uh Gypsy Danger, Crimson Typhoon from China, uh Cherno Alpha from Russia, Striker Eureka from Australia, um how do you guys have a favorite? How, uh, we get a
2: brief glimpse of Romeo Blue, don't we? Right, Isn't that that the stackers, one Stacker.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You get him in the Pilots. flashback, but um, yeah, you guys have a favorite Jaeger? No, striker I mean, is mine.
1: Yeah, I I probably lean towards Striker. I, I like the the chest opening up and like blasting missiles out. That's pretty
0: awesome. Cherno Alpha is my favorite. I like the just the bulky like weight of the thing and uh and then probably Gypsy. I, I like all of I, them. Yeah. I, I'll, I will say that one thing that um I appreciate about Del Toro's approach to giant robots is that he said they have to feel heavy like the sense of scale on this thing on the robots and the monsters is like they can't be moving quickly, they need to feel Heavy. That's why, like you know, when a a Jaeger lifts up its arm to punch, just throw a punch, you see all these pistons and uh, like turbines and and moving gears and all these things that have to be functioning just for it. To and it's try not and,
2: s- and it's not like one like completely fluid motion. A lot of times, you know, like. Like when it when it raises up its arms to that's right in the very beginning, I think. When Gypsy raises up both arms to like clobber yeah. a knife head on yep. it raises up its arms and it kinda pauses and jerks back a little bit and then comes forward, you know? Like when uh when Leatherback is pushing Gypsy towards the water, and he's a- and Gypsy's able to stop, it is that thing where it like rocks back slightly back and forth, you know, and you see like the the servos and stuff rocking back and forth, and the little ankle joints and stuff. There's there's so much attention paid to the physics. Um, of how things move and how things should move. And yeah, there's, there's some that's not right. Like, I mean, gypsy goes walking down the street and the cars don't all jump up and down and stuff. And like, um, he punches, Gypsy punches leather back in the face with those two, uh, with all the shipping containers and like all kinds of crap goes flying out of them. But when, with regards to the Kaiju and the mo- and the robots, for sure, there's a lot of attention paid to, to the physics and the details and how those things kind of m- should move.
1: Yeah, it's essentially the opposite of like Transformers, <laughs> because those have no weight and no physics. And, and we'll talk about this later, but like, also... Very much the opposite of what we've seen so far from the Pacific Rim 2 trailers. Like those things doing like judo flips and stuff, and it, it seems like there's no sense of weight behind them at all. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree. And like even the monsters, I mean, like the way that they, everything takes time in, during the, the fight sequence, and like you can really feel the power of like the punches and, and them trading off attacks, which is why I think it's so effective, you know? Like Knifehead uses literally his head to like carve up gypsy danger. But when it when it happens, it's like it's believable. You feel like the impact of of the head actually like ripping through the armor. And that that's a really nice touch and it it makes the battle so much more believable than if it just like happened very you know, super quick.
2: Yeah, and he doesn't just slice through either, you know, it's not like that um... You know, we're already getting into like the Pacific Rim two bashing, but uh, <laughs> but it's not like that shot in the trailer where Gypsy Avenger is like sliding on the ground and like slices with his knife through the other Jaeger's stomach. Like when Knifehead like crashes into Gypsy's shoulder, it's like this. You can you can see it's this it's this process it, it's not easy for it to rip through the shoulder it's it that it, you could feel the resistance of the the face push pushing through the the shoulder um and that's like like even when uh when crimson typhoon is fighting um otachi and you know is slicing it with the knives in the thundercloud formation yeah it, it's slicing it but it's like these like you can see it slow down as the the knives the knives make contact with the skin. You know it doesn't just go like like wisping through. It's not just like uh you know it's not like uh, Destroya's horn in Godzilla versus Destroya, like slicing through Godzilla with like rotoscoping. There's there's actual thought put to okay if this thing moving at this speed hits this thing that weighs this much that has this what's going to happen. You know, um, yeah, there's a lot of thought and detail put into it. It's awesome.
0: Um, so uh, do we have any fav- favorite and least favorite Kaiju here?
2: I'm a uh, big fan of Leatherback.
1: I'm going to say Knifehead is my, probably my favorite. O- Otachi is probably a very, very close second. Um, the, the three at the end, you know, with Slattern and... I forget the other names. Those three, I can kind of do without. Honestly, I didn't think their designs were that appealing compared to the to the ones we. I saw like earlier.
0: Slattern. It, not my favorite, but I, I of the the end. Raiju ones, is the uh, the crocodile, the really fast one with yeah. two head, like the, the the
2: mouth that opens inside of the mouth. That's Raiju. He's, he's the one that gets like cut in half.
0: Yeah, Scunner's um, and
2: the, the one, other one. The one that gets roasted is Scunner.
0: Yeah.
1: Scunner's okay. It's like, you know, it, it's it's fun. I really dig the fact that they used the like the the lava fisher thing to like burn his face off. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. The
0: end ones but, yeah, those... I, I I I like I, I like display. I like Slattern a lot. The the Category 5. I like I do like him. He's he, he's an interesting design to me because he has kind of like a hammerhead shark kind of face and um and you know he has like uh a, a lot of those like moving tails and stuff that he uses um
2: i like leatherback
0: just because it feels like that
2: is by far the one that feels the most like it could have been a man in a suit for,
0: oh yeah um, definitely I my favorite is otachi um then probably leatherback knife head those are my top three probably i
2: really like mutivore
0: is that the uh, the one? That's in, the one that that's the, the one that the Australian kills fight? that
2: breaks through the yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah,
0: the, yeah. That's a cool one that you don't see much of, but it's a cool design. There's one, um, there's one that you only get a couple brief shots of that attacks. I think he's the one that attacks Manila in the montage, named Karloff, um, named after Boris Karloff, obviously. Uh, but that's a really cool design. Um, and Perhaps yeah, it, yeah, at the yeah, beginning. 91. Um, you have uh, you have the first kaiju that attacks, which is Axehead. Um, but yeah, I I I also like um some of the ones that you know, some other ones you don't see much of is like Oni Baba, the big crab that's chasing Mak- Mako down the street when she's a kid. Um, I like them all. To varying degrees. There aren't any that I don't like, but if there's two that I could probably, like, eh, whatever, it would probably be Raiju and Skunner, those two at the end.
2: I'm not personally huge on Onibaba.
0: Well, that's just because you hate crabs. I don't know.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Onibaba fine. I mean, like, it's a... Eh.
0: That is something, though... um, Uh, in the design process del toro told his artists and designers and there were just a lot of like well known artists and designers uh he said uh he wants every monster to look like it could be operated by a man in a suit and if it didn't you know we just won't uh use it and he called he said each every monster that makes it in the movie has to have what he called the nakajima factor
1: that's pretty awesome
2: yeah, the one that's like the most man in suit is Leatherback. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. It, it, just in the in designing the monsters too, I think. Um. I th- like I said. I think he knows the how he wants the, the, a kaiju to look. In the commentary, he talks about the two schools of kaiju design. Um, there's the Akira Watanabe school. He's the one that designed a lot of the original, like, Toho monsters, Um, and then uh, the uh, Toru Narita School, who, he did some stuff with Toho, like the Gargantuas and stuff, but he was mostly known for, like, the crazy out-there, like, Ultraman, Ultra-Q, Ultra-7 monsters, and, you know, monsters with, like, uh, crazy colors and crazy powers, and, like, uh, so he wanted to kind of, you know honor both and kind of combine both. I think Otachi is probably the best monster that has like, he has like the spitting acid and he's always growing like different, like he grows wings at one point, but he also has like kind of a more classical kaiju design. She. Um, oh yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I do really like the monsters and I think the bio uh, luminescence is a cool touch that we haven't seen before in a movie like this. Um, uh, okay, another point of contention among fans. um where are you guys on the thought that the monsters don't have enough personality, or that um, the fact that they are controlled as a hive mind diminishes something about them? Um I guess what camp do you guys fall in with with that um critique?
1: Uh, The one that doesn't care? Because they're all
0: awesome. (laughs) Well, I've heard that a lot. And I've even heard people say, like, well, they aren't real kaiju because of that. But, I mean, how many, like, Monster of the Week Ultraman episodes are there where, you know, there's monsters being controlled by aliens or...
1: Like, every single one. (laughs) Or they just show
0: show up and smash stuff and don't show, like... Listen, you
1: know what the hive mind actually is probably a better explanation for why the monsters are behaving essentially in unison and have the same goal, right? Not only are they clones, but because clones, but they the hive mind allows them to like think and communicate and it it gives an explanation as to what's going on. And I think it does it in a pretty like, oh, well that makes sense. They're taking orders from a very specific place and they all think the same. That's like why is that even a critique i don't understand well
0: i i i don't know like it's one of those things where like i understand that the japanese like their monsters to be, be more like character like have more characters characteristics like you know feel more like actual characters but they're still not you know they're still monsters like godzilla has a personality like rodan has a personality but like I don't know, the way people talk about them is, like, they get time to, like, like they know who they are, like, as people. Like, no, there's, <laughs> there's still <laughs> monsters that just want to fight other monsters and smash stuff.
1: Well, you, you also yeah. get, like, a different level of stakes within combat, and so that kind of takes away some of the expressiveness that there was to be any. Like, they're fighting immediately to the death, and with the Toho films, you're not necessarily getting that. Ultraman, you do, but, like... You know that you're going to get three minutes of fight before Ultraman ultimately does his finisher because that's how every fight is. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see that being much of a complaint in my opinion.
2: Um. Yeah, and I. I think it also like the there's really only two kaiju that we spend a bit of time with in the movie, and that's Otachi and Leatherback, and I actually think both of them have enough. Little personality,
0: right? And um, it's not like they—they—they the, are they don't have like the same personality.
2: No, and I think especially Leatherback, and that might be why he's my favorite. Is you know he's—he's he's, I think he's got a lot of personality. You know, is that little thing where he like kind of nicks the head to see what the heck is going on and. Oh, well,
1: um, yeah! Like, he, he literally like is running in circles around the Jaeger and trying to figure out what the hell's going. Like, yeah, that's that's a perfect example of personality. Yeah. All right. He gets his face smashed in and like bellows a roar immediately afterwards. That's probably one of the best parts of the movie in my opinion. He
2: gets the flare shot in his eye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and I, I do think that he get that Del Toro gets Kaiju and, you know, how they have personality also. Like one of my favorite quotes from him as an interview is like uh, you know, Mexico is a big uh, like they love they love wrestling, like, you know, they have the luchadors and everything, and he said, you know, as a kid, kaiju movies were like wrestling matches where, like, uh, you could like the good guy, but like the bad guy, you would love even more. And the example he uses is like when you watch Frankenstein conquers the world. Of course, Frankenstein's the good guy, but you can't help but love Baragon, even though he's killing people and he's the villain. Like, and that's true of the monsters in this. Like, that's how I feel about Otachi. Like, and and yeah, like Leatherback, like. Last point of contention before we move on to our next topic: How do you guys feel about the sword kill with Otachi? Uh, Because a lot of people um, were like, "Well, why didn't they just do that earlier?" (laughs) Have you seen those people?
2: Have those people ever seen uh, uh, Akai do anything? Any any Ultraman
1: like Super Sentai? They always save the finisher for last.
2: That's Power not- Rangers.
0: Well, that's what I'm getting at is like how many of those people are like that's stupid, and then they put in like a R- Ultraman DVD. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of my the point I was getting to. Yeah. It's a trope, and I I mean I actually do think that's one thing that Del Toro does well, is that uh he uses tropes in it he he embraces tropes in a way that is really unapologetic that not a lot of other directors do. Like he's, he's tropey, but he does it on purpose and he does it like his own version of it. Yeah. And I
2: don't
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it,
2: it's, it's a weird thing where it's like, it's a valid point or whatever. And, but it, it's, it's almost more like, uh, how, how are you taking it? Are you taking it where you're legitimately mad or are you taking it where, like, where you're, you know, like, um did you guys ever see the, the Pacific Rim, how it should have ended, where they use the sword and they're like, dude, this thing is great. And then, like, the way Pacific Rim, how how it should have ended is just that Gypsy Danger is just standing by the the breach with the sword, just slicing up everything like the instant it comes through, you know, like. <laughs> Like how are you taking this complaint? Are you are you taking it with like, oh yeah, it's just a it's just a goofy thing, it's just a stupid thing, whatever? Or are you like, Oh my god, it's so dumb. And now I'm gonna go watch uh Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, where he uses his spiral breath at the last minute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you yeah, know, um you know one thing that uh I wanted to bring up I guess, in terms of um the monsters and the Jaegers, uh is that del Toro did not do what I guess is kind of the trendy thing now and use motion capture um they briefly considered it, and he said he wanted to do from the ground up just uh frame uh animation you know he he did not want to make a person do it because he felt like. It would still just, it would be too limited to a person's uh, range as far as performance goes. Whereas with frame animation, with the CG, he could just go wild and pretty much just have them do anything. And I don't know, like, I, I like motion capture, but I feel like for a movie like this, that's almost the right call. And it makes me wonder, like, should Godzilla and Skull Island and those... Should they? Because they did do motion capture. It's like, should they have done that? Because I definitely see what he means.
2: Yeah, it's a tough. I mean, I don't have a
0: problem with either.
2: I think it's yeah. the aesthetic. if you do it right, it doesn't matter. Kind of type of thing, you know. Like that's true. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I guess it's. It's whatever he wanted. He, he did it well, you know. Like there are a couple of shots and a couple of moments where if you're, you know, watching it now, you're like, eh, that's not the best shot, you know. They're like that's not that doesn't look the best. Um, but generally they do a really good job of it, and there are a few things in the movie that are CG that I did not think were CG. Um, so they they use it smartly. They use it well. Um, but they also do use enough um practical effects and sets specifically to to ground things enough to make it seem you know like there's actually something tangible there and specifically that the the heads Mm -hmm. those are giant sets i mean yeah yeah that's tons of there's tons of cgi augmentation in there but uh You know, Charlie Hunnam and and Rinko Kikuchi were strapped into those harnesses and thrown around for real. That's um, um
0: that's a good segue because I was going to bring up effects next, and um, yeah, there's believe it or not, a ton of practical effects in here. Uh, the Jaegers and the kaiju aren't really part of that but almost everything else is practical in places where it didn't need to be and that's that's kind of one of the charms i think i think that's kind of one of the things everyone likes about del toro is that whenever possible he goes practical but yeah like the um the jaeger cockpits with them in the that's a giant set and those actors are really strapped into these mechanisms that they had to do and they're basically like it was physically exhausting um, I forget who it was but one of the actors said imagine just being on, a, on an elliptical for 14 hours a day and that's essentially <laughs> what we had to do and yeah the, it it's a big hydraulic set that would turn and you know it it actually did throw them around the way it did in the movie um same with like the baby kaiju set um and the uh and you know the set with uh, the the um the young mako like the baby kaiju set when when the when it's chasing them and like there's a part where a car overturns that's not a cgi car that's an actual car that was flipped in camera um same with uh when mako is a kid and running down the street those uh when it when the when it shakes that's not like an after-post-production uh, uh, kind of, a f- like, earthquake effect. That's an actual set that's being, like, pushed. Um, and actually, the part where Gypsy punches through the building and hits the little uh, math... What do they call those things? I don't know. You know, the, the little balls on the I know what you're strings. talking about. Yeah, that part, um, aside from the Gypsy arm and, of course, like, you know, the backgrounds, that was actually mini- a miniature. Like a miniature office, you know, just like the old school way. So, um, so yeah, that's a lot. When he could have just been like, okay, everything's green screen, and we'll, you know, shake you up and post, and we'll add footsteps and post. It's like he wanted everything to feel as real as possible.
2: Yeah, I mean that he does just enough of it. You know, like there's there's just enough. To to make it feel tangible.
0: Well, I guess to get back to the question of is there anything I don't like? Like I said, like there's some minor nitpicks here and there. Like I get why Stacker was able to drift with Chuck at the end, but I feel like it's something that could have been explained a little better. I mean, the idea is Stacker is such a veteran, he can essentially almost drift with anyone because he's like, yeah, I got, I I know your type, you know but you know a little more time or explanation there um there's certain expositional lines that really kind of don't land with me um and just kind of feel like overly expositiony like the the part where Charlie Day is talking to Ron Perlman and he's like we both know that the kaiju have two brains and it's like <laughs> it, that that nobody would like talk like that Um, there's a couple things like that here and there, but I mean, I don't really have any real big gripes about the movie. I mean, every time I watch it, it doesn't feel like it's over two hours. Um, the monster scenes are great. Oh, about the effects. Um, I want to say, I think this is a movie that actually does show very well. Um, the advantages, that can you can have with having cgi uh monsters um and one of the things is we talked about the sense of scale um but like literally the sense of scale with the monsters and the robots is very uh well done and really cool looking i know um it's not like a serious complaint I don't think anyone has but I've heard people say like one of the thing one of the ways you can tell it's always a man in a suit is like for example a mo- Godzilla comes out of the ocean and look at the uh, the water drops you know for a creature that big the drops dripping off him are huge but in this it's like with CG you can actually show you know Look at, like, the water drops when Gypsy's in the ocean and, like, they're tiny. Like, you can really kind of do textural things like that that uh, are really cool. And that is something that you couldn't do with the man in the suit. Kind of like, you know, uh, Harryhausen once said none of his monsters could be done with a man in a suit. And it's like, they could, but, you know, if you look at, like, the Hydra from Jason and the Argonauts, like... That thing is a suit would just be a mess of heads bumping into each other. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same. Um, So I don't know. I I actually think that that's something that kind of gets overlooked is how CG can really help the scale of a a kaiju movie.
1: The CG in this film, I think, still holds up. Very. I mean, like it still looks good now. Like it was. I watched the Blu-ray, and I mean, it's just it's a beautiful film to watch. And it doesn't really ever feel oversaturated the way that some other films do. Mm-hmm. Looking at anything made by DC, <laughs> like right. the, the,
0: the,
1: there's there's beautiful use of color, but it doesn't feel obviously fake. Yeah, and i that, that's what I liked, and, and especially so, like the Hong Kong scene. Like there's just bright lights everywhere. Like that that looks it looks great.
0: Yeah, some people might disagree, and that's fine, but. You know, I think of some of the CG in, like, some of the recent Marvel movies, like, you know, Thor, Ragnarok, or... Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, it just looks so, um... Shitty? cartoon you know, <laughs> cartoony, maybe? Uh, yeah. I think...
2: I, I Jurassic World.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I really think that this movie, for the most part, I think the CG is really good. It... it I never got the feeling like it felt like video game graphics. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, you know, might feel otherwise, but and that's fine. But it's not something that, you know, really ever stuck out with me in this particular movie. And also, I think, like I said, it really helps texture because, like, look at the Jaegers and look at, like, all the little details. Like, they have these little hatches, and you'll see, like, where one of them has, like, a ladder... That goes into like a like a a cockpit or something, and like I don't know. I that's the kind that is the kind of thing that a suit you wouldn't be able to be as intricate with it. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's my soapbox for for saying you know. Although I always prefer stop motion or man in suit to CG, this is one of the cases where I think the CG works really well. I would agree. You know it's go ahead bird (laughs) okay hold on to that thought because this is just a dumb question it's just gonna be like two seconds (laughs) you know what else that was goofy um (laughs) uh, (laughs) how do you guys feel about the characters the saying the plural (laughs) the plural for kaiju is kaijus instead of kaiju
1: is it weird that it like Weirdly, it didn't bother me, but like I know, it was very apparent when they said it. I'm like, oh, I think that's wrong, and I'm the one who gets every word wrong when I say something. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's a, it's not a really that thing,
0: bothered though. people though.
1: It's not. That seems like a pretty. I mean,
0: Tom, it, how, I where are you on kaiju's versus kaiju?
2: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <It's> like. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, whatever. I mean, that's
2: that's just that's where I am. I'm at. I'm at. Get over it. Like,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's not. It's not a real movie because they just just stop. Stop. (laughs) (laughs)
2: What's What's interesting though, uh, some it's it's like the Godzilla Gojira thing in uh in Godzilla 2014. Mm-hmm. some people say in the movie say kaijus and some people just say kaiju
0: yeah just like real life I just I'm love gonna... that this is the only fandom where something like that would matter <laughs> I, I, like <laughs> I remember one guy talking about how that's proof that Del Toro doesn't understand the genre and stuff well
1: he's not oh my gosh he doesn't he's not a native English speaker for one and then second <laughs> kaiju is not an English word Who
0: cares?
2: or a native Japanese speaker <laughs>
1: I mean, well, what I'm saying is, if you if you take the word from Japanese to English, like the, the most basic rule of English, would typically they put an S on it to make it plural. But then we have goose and geese. I mean, like you know, who
0: cares? It's stupid. Get out of oh. here.
2: So the plural of kaiju should be kiju. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I have one more topic here that I want to talk about in terms of like reviewing the movie, and, le- and then I mean. If you guys have anything else you want to touch on, go ahead. But that's the score. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Oh yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I actually really like mean... this score. I remember when the movie came out, people were kind of like eh on it, but more and more, I think a lot of people have come around to at least that theme. Um, oh, the
2: theme is glorious.
0: Yeah, uh, the it's theme. Awesome. It's uh, Ramin Jawadi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's I think it's a, Ramin. Okay. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean Game of Thrones, um Prison Break, um, Iron Man. And actually for this movie and Iron Man, uh for some guitar work, he um enlisted the help of uh uh Tom Morello uh from Rage Against the Machine. Um and uh you can definitely While we're on the subject
2: of Ramin Juiti real quick and since you mentioned it. Uh the Game of Thrones tour is coming back like if you get a chance, go see it. If you watch Game of Thrones, um but yeah, if you get a chance, go see it. I went and saw it. It's really cool. Is it him? Yeah, he conducts oh nice. He picked like so the way the way it works is and I don't want to get too deep too too deep into a tangent, but he picks um to to tour with him he picks a a a singer like a vi a violinist a cellist and a couple percussionists and they tour with him and then the rest of the orchestra every night is uh is whatever like the local philharmonic is
0: okay that's pretty cool um but yeah, you can definitely hear uh Morello's work in there if you're familiar with Audio Slave or uh, Rage Against the Machine. But furthermore, yeah, I really like not only the theme. I I like a lot of that score. Um I think Mako's theme is really good. Um it's a really good score and uh I even I was a little like in the middle on it when it came out, but the more I've watched the movie, um, the more I've uh, I've really just come to enjoy the whole soundtrack. Um, it's a really good score, and then uh, I also like the big brass kaiju themes too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing
1: I always ask myself: is, is the score something I'm going to be humming on my way home, and like compare that to this in 2014's Godzilla, and like. That score is incredibly forgettable, whereas this one like gets stuck in my head. I was humming it all like all today, basically.
2: I really like the track "Canceling the Apocalypse." It's a really good track off of the score.
0: Um, we've really talked about a lot here, uh, and I know we have uh, Matt has quite a bit of trivia to get into. Um, do you guys? Is there anything else about the movie that you want to? discuss before we do our ratings. Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt, do you have anything that you want to touch on before we give our ratings? I mean, no. I no. <laughs> I think um, we covered it up. Okay. Uh so I guess we'll do our ratings. How many Charlie Hunnam six packs do you give this out of 5?
1: Uh I'm going to go first. I think I'm going to have the lowest score. Uh I I'm a very solid 4. There's some things that do bother me about it. Um I already mentioned those, but it's it's a highly enjoyable film. I think so far it I mean it's probably I mean I would say it's probably the best out of the legendary monster films that we've gotten so far. Um so I'm I'm at a very solid 4. It's a very, very good movie.
2: I give this movie 5 out of 5 kaiju blues
0: <laughs> uh you know i'm gonna do it uh i'm gonna give it a five it doesn't mean i think it's perfect it just means that for me everything works and um yeah i mean I, this is the one of the i would say since maybe jurassic park the closest i've felt to actually like being a kid in a movie theater um and it really just scratched an itch that I had for a long time that, you know, wasn't really being fulfilled and, you know, as much as I enjoyed stuff like Gamera the Brave and Clover Field, like nothing was really, you know, giving me the sense of you know, fun that I I I was missing. You know, even the Millennium Godzilla movies were you know, as much as I like some of them, they're a little bit dry. Um, and, you know, Final Wars was a little bit more of a return to like the goofier Saturday morning kind of thing, but that movie is just such a mess too. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie just hit all the right spots for me, checked off all the right boxes, and, um, uh, I still maintain that it's the best thing we've had since, um, Gamera 3. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would put this in, in, the in, in, you know the big list of of greats for me personally um uh yeah i, I think it's awesome. it one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years yeah and i mean i've watched I it so many not. times um but uh okay so we have some trivia points and uh matt you're gonna run through those right
1: yeah uh we talked about some of this stuff earlier but one thing uh, that I like about this film is the use of color. Um, Del Toro purposely use reds and blues to symbolize certain things. So, for example, red is symbolizing kind of the heart or humanity. So literally, as Mako's running as a little girl with her red shoe in her hand, she's kind of holding her heart, so to speak. And you see that shoe get presented back to her later on when, with Stacker Pentecost. When he hands her back to shoe, he'll say, hey, you're going to become the new pilot for the Gypsy Danger. Um and, it's, it's, and he talks about this in the commentary, but he actually says the characters by the end of the film will eventually find their hearts. And then blue is tied to the monsters or tied back to the past. You have the, the kaiju blue, which is the blood. Uh, Mako's hair has blue tips on it, which is tying her back to her past that she's kind of holding on to. So I thought that was a very specific... I, I like the motif, the themes that he has going tied to color.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, right? he kind of color codes all his movies. And yeah, like Mako's hair, like it's stained with blue because you know it's that PTSD that trauma, you know, of, of what happened. And um I mean yeah, I, I I think it's it's something a lesser director wouldn't do. Agree. So um, he wasn't
2: he wasn't just a fan of Knives Chow? <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: Matthew Cullen of Murata Studios, which is I believe is a studio that uh Del Toro and Matthew both like actually started together um, he directed some of the opening found footage sequences. So like that opening montage with access slash trespasser, that's attacking San Francisco. A lot of that is, it was actually directed by Matthew Cullen. Um, he's primarily known for like, um, music videos, but he worked alongside with Del Toro. So he allowed him to do that. Cause Del Toro actually says, I'm not really great with the found footage filming. So he let somebody else do it, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, they spent a year adding visual details to the film. We've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, ladders, computer readouts. And that was all part of the world building. And there's, there's so much detail um, when you when you look at the film and you see the docs and everything. So there's a quote I'm going to read. I'm uh, um, kind of about trust in the movie. And this is Del Toro talking. He says, I want the movie to be about a worldwide, a worldwide crisis. I want it to be a movie not about a hero, but a of hero saving the world. And basically the world is saving the world. He says every race, every sex, every recruit, every color of skin are coming together to do this. Um, I thought that's awesome. I mean, like, it, it's great. We talked about it earlier, but allowing the characters to bond together much in the same way that you would see in some of the, you know, the Honda films where like, this is a, a world thing. People coming together to defeat a bigger threat. Um, I think that's a, a great theme to have.
0: Thematically, this is probably the closest to like the themes Honda embraced. Um, and kind of after the Showa period, into the Heisei, it kind of got left behind by the Godzilla series, all the way up to where you have Shin Godzilla, which is pretty much like, you're not Japanese? Fuck, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, Bird, you want to take the next one? Because I
1: wasn't sure what this little bit right here...
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Um, in the novelization, the kaiju scale... So, you know, they are all kind of have a, a numerical scale, kind of like uh, a, an earthquake, level 4 earthquake, and it's level 4 kaiju. Um, in the novelization, um, that's actually uh, called the Serizawa scale, which isn't in the movie, probably because Del Toro was trying not to be super referential to one specific thing but that's a fun little bit there.
1: We talked about this earlier too uh Del Toro mentions a, a ton about going to guys um a zinger series and obviously Ray Harryhausen's films like he talks about Talos specifically from Jason the Argonauts as being instrumental in, as to how he wanted the the Jaegers to move.
0: I can totally so we, see that because Talos is like for a stop motion creation it moves like—it's this just, just lo- lumbering behemoth, and yeah, it, you really kind of feel like how much that thing must weigh in the way Harryhausen animated it.
1: Uh, <clears throat> this movie also was—well, uh, Warner Brothers wanted to make this film 3D, and Del Toro re- initially rejected that, but then he basically reconsidered, and he agreed to do a 3D con- uh, conversion— um, he did take this very seriously, and he basically said he would only do it if he could have um, three times the amount of time given uh, to do 3 d convert conversion. He also consulted uh, James Cameron as to basically how to go about doing this because he had done because the- James Cameron had actually just done the conversion for Titanic.
0: Did either of you guys see this in 3 d?
2: no i never watched i saw this
0: yeah i i'm not a big 3d guy but i saw it a few times and then after reading like how much effort they put into the actual conversion i did see it in 3d and it actually was pretty good for for conversion it's probably still one of the better ones i've ever seen um and like i've seen conversions that look awful like where they it's just like you're looking at cardboard cutouts but they did a really good job with this one
1: um, he also wanted Gypsy Danger to walk with kind of a John Wayne cowboy swagger, which
2: oh. I, think you,
1: I think you do get that if you think, especially like when he's dragging the, the big boat behind him. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the movie is dedicated to the Masters of Monsters, Ray Harryhausen
0: and Ishiro Honda. And if and, uh, um, I'm going to interject here and get really nerdy... um because obviously Dude, it's weird you never do that <laughs> <laughs> he's never done that once on this show um obviously uh like i said this movie is the closest i've come to really kind of feeling the sense of fun in a kaiju movie that i hadn't felt in a long time and um i talked about this a little bit on the cloverfield episode i said with that movie it was nice to see these hollywood filmmakers finally kind of come around to giving props to the Japanese movies. And this this movie kind of further validated that for me. And then uh just seeing those words at the end I, I I can't think of two better people to dedicate this movie to. Um and then another thing that always bothered me is the kind of divide between, you know, the Harryhausen and stop motion fans and the Tokusatsu fans. And to see someone make a movie in tribute to both of these people who really don't get enough credit um, these days, uh, and we're from completely different schools of thought in how they make these movies. Honestly, to see that dedication, I got a little choked up. Got a little choked up.
1: I'm uh, not surprised, (laughs) which is fine. (laughs) That's fine. Um. So apparently David Cronenberg uh helped uh crew for this film, which I assume means picking the, the crew to, to help out the film. I don't know, Bird. You tell me you're the one Well, who well that,
0: uh, <laughs> the 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 with that is um, bit a old friend of Del Toro's, and of Del Toro's and kind Canadian and of uh, talked Guillermo into of in Canada and kind of helped him with of you know recommendations with, of a staffing and um, and stuff like that. So that's why he gets a credit. And um, I'm a big Kronberg fan too, so that's a cool piece of trivia.
1: The last line, uh, Mako, you're squeezing me too tight, was a suggestion from his friend director, Alfonso Caron. And uh, he showed the film to Rian Johnson and Alejandro
2: Gonzalez. Rian, uh, are you are you friggin' serious?
1: Ryan? I Dude, I don't know how to say names. It's
2: Ryan. Is it Ryan? I don't know.
0: He it's just fine. made the, the biggest movie of last year. <laughs> Haven't you heard anyone talk about him like before? No, man. I don't. I don't. I don't. It's it's fine. Okay. All you right. Know, Go ahead, continue. I, I said
1: I I stuff all the time. This is par for the course. <laughs> uh, anyway, he also he also consulted James Cameron uh, before making the final cut. Um, he actually delivered the film under budget, which I did not know that. That's. Uh, pretty awesome considering how big the budget was and how extensive the CGI was, but it also allowed him to do three days of reshoots. Um, Del Toro had a plant named, plant, planet, God, I can't talk now, <laughs> uh, named after him in Ultraman X, uh, where X and Zero fight on planet Guillermo.
0: I haven't so, watched that series, but did, do you recall that? <clears throat> uh,
1: I don't recall that specifically, but I will plug Ultraman X as being an enjoyable show. I'm okay. a big it's fan. It's one of the early
0: of- episodes. I know that. It's like episode five or something.
1: Yeah, I do. I do remember an episode where they um, pretty early on where they go and they fight on like a different planet. And that doesn't happen too often that, in that series. So I, I'm pretty sure I know which one. But yeah, check out Ultraman X if you haven't. It's it's cool. Um, Travis Beecham said that an earlier version of the script would have Mako and Raleigh speaking two different languages for the majority of the film. And then after they connect as pilots, uh, they would begin to slowly understand one another and then by the end, um, they would both hear each other speaking in their own languages, which that's kind of a cool idea. But Yeah,
0: I kind of like that, yeah. Cool idea, but like, how would that,
1: I mean, I, I can see that wearing thin maybe on some people, but, uh, and you mentioned this, Karloff, um, one of the kaiju from the opening sequence was named after Boris Karloff. Karloff. Um, and the nickname was given because the creature's head resembles the rotted face of Karloff's The Mummy, uh, Imhotep. So, yeah, that's all the trivia that I have. I'm sure you anything else you want to add to that
0: bird? Uh, Not quite. I know um, one thing that uh, is um, I mean, movies, the first cut of any movie is almost like four or five hours and then they trim it down. But uh, I know he said he cut about an hour of material um, and uh, that's kind of why the characters are just types. He said there was a lot of stuff left, but he wanted to reduce the characters to being, like, their most basic types, and then each character... There's one character, he says, and that's humanity, and each character is, like, a different uh, part of that, and they all contribute at the end and all take risks and everything like that, make sacrifices. Um, But I know there was some more, um, you know, sophisticated or quote-unquote, adult uh, themes in there, uh, some of which are in the, the prequel graphic novel, according to Del Toro. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's really all there is for trivia. Did Now, I, I actually ha- I, I bought it when it came out, and I never read it, just because I'm a bum. But have you guys read the prequel uh, graphic novel? Yeah. Does Flipping Through at Barnes & Noble count? Because that's what I did. No, but, Tom, do you have any quick thoughts on it? I mean...
2: Um... There's, like, a couple of cool things, you know? Like, I I mentioned when I was going through the synopsis, I think, you know, the idea... Like, they show that the idea comes from some guy watching his kids play with his toys, and that's where he's like, oh, something that big needs to be fought with something that big, you know? Like, um that's in there. They go into a little bit more detail on like the neural load and some of the Mm -hmm. testing they did to figure out like the very first person they ever tried to connect to a Jaeger is like paralyzed for life or something Um, or like catatonic. I can't remember what, Um, but other than that, and then there's like a thing where um, like, Several of the early Jaeger pilots are dying of cancer. And I think actually the one who uh, was co-piloting with uh, with Stacker died of cancer or was dying of cancer or something like really bad, like uh, well, way more advanced than than Stacker's is in the movie um so some of that is it's more like it just gives like some of that like more like Mm, room to breathe but as a as like a story unto itself it it doesn't accomplish a whole lot it's Mm. not really like if you're a huge 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 pacific rim fan you might get something you might get a little bit out of some of those like little details being expanded on a little bit but i mean i've mostly banished it from my mind
0: maybe i'll read it just for the hell of it before the new one comes out there was also there's also um uh tales from the drift which was a mini series but i don't know much about it and i don't it just kind of came and went so i don't know you guys remember that that was like last year no oh um all right, well, I guess we'll end with, uh, real quick, we'll go around and give our expectations for the second movie. Um, Matt, you want to start us off?
1: I mean, I, I hope that, obviously, I think we all hope that it, it's good. Um, the trailers have seemed to indicate kind of a change in some of the real-world stuff that we talked about, such as, like, giving the monsters and the kaiju a lot of weight. This seems to look a lot more transformer E. Even my wife kind of commented and said, hey, that looks exactly like Transformers, and I think that's kind of a negative, but, I mean, we'll see. I, I
0: People hope did that's say fun. that about this one, too, though.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, just in terms of the physics, I think. Yeah. Like, you know, Transformers, nothing has weight. There's literally no physics in that, and I feel like the trailers have kind of given us that but it, for, for Pacific Rim, too. We'll see. I mean, I hope that it's good. I hope that it's a lot of fun. I think if I walk out in, in the movie, it was end up just saying, hey, that was a fun movie, then I will be very happy with it.
0: Okay. Um, I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, I mean, for as much as I love this movie, uh, I'm. some people are kind of surprised how, like, eh, I am on Uprising. And, um, I mean, yeah, for, from what I've seen, I, it seems like the, the, all the attention to detail, not in just in terms of the physics, but... In terms of the design, in terms of it just doesn't feel like it's as thought out visually as the first movie, and I guess that's what happens when you don't have del toro in your in in your uh front seat there um and yeah even the 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 suits that the Jaeger pilots wear look cheaper, everything looks cheaper, everything looks faster um and yeah i'm not i'm not really digging the aesthetic um and uh and i mean the only re- re- real returning cast you have the two scientists and um uh uh marco mori um is that it i think there might be one more but but yeah there's really not a whole lot of the returning characters um and something tells me Mako is going to not be involved very much. She's barely in the trailers. Um, I like John Boyega, who's also on here as a producer. But yeah, I don't know. I know that Del Toro was all set to do a sequel called Pacifica Maelstrom. Um, but then Legendary got bought by Wanda, and that whole that held up everything. And so he went to do Shape of Water... Um, and then, what a mistake! <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's regretting <laughs> that <laughs> um, and then, uh, for whatever reason, they essentially scrapped Maelstrom altogether and um did a brand new script called pacific rim uprising and del toro who wrote the the maelstrom he he's not even on here with a screenplay credit or a story credit and he's on here as a producer but he's even said like you know they've sent me some of the dailies and stuff but like i i haven't visited the set i've just been doing shape of water stuff and i mean if they need me they'll call me but no one's really called me so i'm assuming everything's fine so, I mean he really didn't have much to do with the the new one at all and I don't know part of me kind of feels like when you lose him you're losing a really special touch that gave the first movie so many special qualities and I almost feel like they just should have held off until he was ready but you know whatever um Tom how do you feel
2: Yeah <laughs> uh it it shows that he's not involved at all and that, and that's just from trailers um all of that attention to detail and attention to physics is gone uh and that that is something that still bums me out like every time i see a trailer and can i just say the marketing for both of these movies has been terrible Garbage. the first one the first one was was like I was in a theater that had like a huge Pacific Rim banner and I like, I pointed to it and I was like, that's like one of my most look forward to movies of the, of the year. Like this is before it came out, you know, um, back in like 2011 or whatever. And people were like, Oh, I haven't even heard of that movie at all. Um, so the first one was like, like nobody heard of it. This one is like ridiculously saturated, but the only thing they're doing is showing trailers and clips and clips and trailers and trailers and clips. I feel like I've seen like 30 minutes of the movie already. Honest to God. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, is like, like they even spoiled already. Like one of the like big jokes. That's like a callback joke in the movie. Um, where like the cut, like the, the hand like punches and it punches a car and it sets off the alarm, but it doesn't destroy the car. I'm like, oh, that's just like that other joke. You know, like the the marketing for this movie has been trash. Uh, But again, I feel like I've seen like like uh, maybe not 30, but I honest to God feel like I've seen like five to 10 minutes of this movie from trailers and the physics just bum me out every time. This is something that uh, was
0: such a special part of the first one, I think
2: the Jaegers are sliding around They're They're jumping through the air. They're doing backflips. They're kicking. They're, they're doing, you know, roundhouse kicks. They get this gravity whip that just flips around through the air. It's like, like, I don't even understand like what the hell is happening, you know, like, and, and that, that really, really bums me out. Um, that said, and, and the cheapness of it, Said because it looks cheap. I'm sorry, it they cut 40 million dollars from the budget, which by the way is more than 20 percent. And it shows it's
0: two shape of waters.
2: <laughs> um, it absolutely shows that they cut the budget. Um, that all said, it, maybe it's a good thing that they're sh- giving oh, so much away in trailers and stuff because. I feel like I'm going in with my expectations sufficiently lowered um, and I might be able to enjoy this for what it is instead of what it isn't. Yeah. Because what I think it's not going to be is a very good sequel to Pacific Rim. But I think what it might be is a very fun kaiju movie so you know why shouldn't i get on board yeah. for that if it you can know?
0: lean into just pure dumb fun saturday morning cartoon territory that's like the least i can ask of it <laughs> so
2: that's know? that's where i am i'm 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 at a place where i think this is going to be a, a trash sequel to uh what i think is an underrated and very good movie um but I think it could
0: be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so um, all right well I guess we can wrap up. Oh, you know what we should mention that we forgot to mention somehow because we were talking about the Oscars is uh uh Nakajima got a little uh credit in the in memoriam. That was cool. And I I did not expect that, so
1: Yeah, that's I I honestly I didn't see, I didn't watch the Oscars, but I did see that picture floating around and I I was I did get a little uh a little, a little emotional when I saw that, but,
0: yeah. you know that's... it's good to see these guys getting uh credit. Romero was in there, of course, Nakajima you know, and Romero are two people that Hollywood never took seriously <laughs> until they they <laughs> died, apparently uh but you know what honestly, as nice as that <laughs> thought is uh the omission of Toby Hooper negates it pretty much what? especially yeah. they're showing texas chainsaw massacre clips and the like <laughs> look at this montage of 90 years of great movies and then it's like yeah who who who, who? i just imagine someone at the oscars saying who's who's tony hopper <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh they also left off powers booth and uh and miguel ferrar ferrar west
0: oh and Adam yeah. west. Was Miguel Farrar in last year's, though?
2: I don't think so. Hmm.
0: Well, anyway. that was
2: They left off Bill Paxton, too, but he was in that he weird was, thing. Well, yeah, where he, he was
0: in last year's also. He no, died in... he was
2: not. No, they he was mentioned left last year. Him, yeah. They mentioned him specifically by name. Huh. Where they were like, oh, Bill Paxton, you know, sad to see you go or whatever, but like he did not appear in the in memoriam thing because he died too close to the Uh, actual Oscars.
0: Okay. Well, that's dumb. I guess that wraps it up. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time with With something more. With something (laughs) that's probably really stupid.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Way to hook them, bird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tune in. All right.
1: (laughs) All right. Bye.